Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my special guest today is Eleanor Haglin. Eleanor, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Thank you. It's good to have you. And so you and I are at a networking event. How would you introduce yourself to me? I would say I'm probably a, a multi-time founder um, who's trying to, to help other founders go through, um, have kind of an easier time of the process of building startups. So, but educationally, a little background, I mean, sure. how did you kind of arrive at this multi-time founder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, originally from New Jersey, uh, went to school at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh for my undergrad, and then did my graduate work, um, got my MBA at Columbia Business School, um, just recently graduated. Um, and as I was going into um, my business school experience, my current co-founder and I um, decided to, to build this company, um, Aspire360. So I'm, I'm going to cheat because I was, I told you off camera, I was listening to another episode. I, did you mention on that recording that, that like your first business, you started at a pretty young age? Yeah, well, I, I started my first startup when I was, I think, a junior or senior in college. Okay. And what was that? So that was a, um, an enhanced ebook startup. We were looking to create a tool that would help authors put media into their, into their ebooks. Like video content, like video content, interactive, sound, yeah, great. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's amazing. I mean, we've had books around for what a millennium. I mean, it's, it's since the printing press. So yeah. the idea of kind of what, what, you know, what's, what's book 2.0, you know, and was that, is that kind of what you, you had in mind? You said, we've got to change this a little more interactive experience, a little more, um, you know, add some life to these pages. Yeah, well, so I I grew up, I was a huge reader. You could not get me away from, from the books that I was reading. Um, if I if I did something wrong, my mom would actually kind of she'd pull the books away and be like, You can't, you can't <laughs> read anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so that's how much I love them. Um, and so when I got to college, I, I kind of slowed down on my reading. There was a lot of a lot of other things to do and a lot of um, a lot of schoolwork to, to finish as well. And so I, I slowed down on it. And I also noticed that my peers were not reading uh, very much at all. Mm. And I, I wanted to to kind of bring that love that I that I had for books to, to other folks. And I, I noticed that there was a lot of like rich media. Carnegie Mellon had a huge entertainment uh, technology center that was doing really, really cool things with the future of media. Right. And so I thought, why not combine these two and try and make something new and exciting for people to get excited about stories? So the, I mean, I don't know what the statistics are, but I, I mean, so many great founders are, are just avid readers. You know, they, they read a lot. They read a lot of different things, not just business books, but I mean, just a wide variety of different genres. So what, yeah. what was, uh, I mean, is, can you like attribute, you know, your love or I guess the great foundation you have to the fact that you read so much? I think that you never know, right? It's the chicken or the egg. Yeah. Um, but I think that my love of reading and my love of stories has kind of contributed throughout my life to, to all the things that I've 
I've done kind of when you're when you're building a company part of building a company is being able to communicate that that story and right. why you're doing it and why people should care and so all of this kind of comes together um, but I also think that there's there's a certain degree of like a love of learning when you're when you're reading your your seeing new worlds or you're learning about an experience that you that you yourself never got the chance to to experience and so I think that there's two pieces there that that love of learning and that um, joy of telling stories I think it's funny you mentioned the you know just the the storytelling aspect of kind of building a business but I think it's actually externally and internally I mean it's it it's not just telling your message to potential clients or telling the story to clients to kind of paint that vision it's also painting culture you know, it's mm -hmm. also creating culture within the business itself as, as you're kind of growing it. And, you know, the best leaders are, are those that cast vision. You know, they're not managers, they're leaders. And that's, the, that's one of the key differentiators between, you know, th those two things. But talk a little bit about, about the company. Um, let, let's start with that one that you did in college. Is it, did, you know, what was kind of the, its, its uh, growth pattern or its, its life cycle or whatever? Talk about that and then we'll talk about what you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. Well, so my my first company was definitely a learning opportunity, um, and not they the always are foreign <laughs> success that that we all look for and kind of the the first time we try things. Um, so I, I built a product, uh, created a team, um, brought it to market, worked with a couple of New York Times bestselling authors, um, had, a, had a really fun time with it, um, but ultimately realized that there was not a huge market mm. for, for novelists looking to put um, technology products into their, into their writing. And so um, didn't really want to pivot into more of the professional writing yeah. um, area where you can kind of create, um, uh, what, what is it called? When you... Um, you have a book that teaches you um, how to use a manual. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, um, I didn't want to pivot into kind of manual creation and trying to make that more interactive. And so I, I ultimately decided to, to close down the business and, and move on to learning more about the startup space and, and building that way. Was this like a did, grown out of a class project or was this something you just kind of did it on your own? So I, I wouldn't say I did it on my own, um, but it wasn't also a class project. So there was um, a program at Carnegie Mellon. Um, it was the Innovation Scholars Program, and it was designed to do like a little mini MBA for undergraduate students yep. and teach you all about entrepreneurship and how to build a business, how to talk to customers, all this stuff. And um, through that, a lot of us um, become quite inspired and decide to try and test ourselves against the world. Um, and that was when I decided to, to build this. And there were other students that had different ideas, kind of like a university incubator kind of look. Yeah. Project yeah, so the, um, the incubator portion of the of the university was called Project Olympus um, and is now part of the, the Schwartz Center. Um, but there were a ton of people building things. And that was part of what was so inspiring. I yeah. think a lot of people go to co-working spaces. They sure. want to be around the, the innovation, the excitement. And, and part of being in that um, incubator, being among those people was just seeing what, what people were building. People were building robots beside you. It was just really fun. So anybody that's listening to this right now, I want you to pause the podcast. I want you to flip over to YouTube and I want you to rewind about a minute. I want you to see how her face lights up when she starts talking about this. It's like, you know, it's like she had a religious experience right here in the middle of the, of the podcast. But I mean, you talk about, you know, coming to life. I mean, that that's a, your eyes just lit up when you were talking about, you know, that particular thing. I mean, that yeah. that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. 
Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would not trade that experience in my life for, for anything. It was truly, it was an inspiration. It gave me the foundation to build startups, um, past, like past when I graduated, um, and kind of weather, weather all the storms. So I've interviewed, uh, hundreds of people on this podcast and, and I, we, we do a kind of a startup founder, like virtually every week. And I've talked to people from 25 different countries and, and we've done this for the last three years or so. And it's interesting. There are almost two types of founders. There are two types of like entrepreneur, like subsets. One is I just like to create stuff. I don't yeah. like to run it. I like to create it. I'm a, I'm the early stage once it gets up and running, I'd like to step out and try something new and then let the implementer, you know, kind of take over. Others are like, you know, I really want to see this through to it, to the full product cycle and through this full business cycle or whatever. Which one of those camps would you fall in? I'm, I, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm just curious how you would say what you would say. I'm not sure. I mean, it depends on where you see like the life cycle of the company. I think I, I would probably put myself more towards, I love the, like getting things up and running, creating new things, and then kind of making sure that they have enough resources to, to, to kind of make it and then yeah. letting someone kind of scale it from, I don't know, let's call it a hundred million to, to a billion or whatever. Um, but I, I see kind of the first like five or six years of the company is the most exciting. You're hitting those problems for the first time. Hopefully you're doing something that like people haven't done before. Yep. Um, it's challenging, it's exciting. And so I, I think I would fall in the earlier part of, of the dichotomy, but um, it depends on how you see the life cycle of the company. Actually, it's funny because I'm secret here. I, I would have guessed that was where you, you would <laughs> tend to gravitate, but I would have said that cycle was a lot shorter. I would have said, you know, hey, 24 months in, she is probably ready to do something else. You know, 18 <laughs> to 24 months, it's it's almost getting stale in her own mind. But I mean, when I, it's funny when I talk to early stage founders, you know, or, or the people that would fall in that camp, it's like their mind is this continuous conference room and every wall is a whiteboard. And it's just a, it's a, it, the gears are always spinning. Even if they're working on a project, they're thinking about other things. They're thinking about other projects at the same time. So, and so you, all these lessons that you're learning, nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted in kind of the entrepreneurial economy. So, you know, failures, successes, they all kind of, kind of come back to play. But so talk about what you're doing today. Yeah. Um, so the company is called Aspire 360 and um, we're actually about to launch our, um, our beta of our product. Um, and what we're doing is we're helping entrepreneurs get connected with investors. Um, so when I was having my, when I was building my companies, I really wanted to, to have access to these folks who I knew were aligned with my vision, um, but I just couldn't quite get there. Um, and it comes from being kind of maybe a first time founder or an early stage founder. Um, once you've done it a couple of times, you do start to build your network. Um, but I wanted I, I want everyone who has a problem that they're passionate about to be able to reach out to these resources and kind of get some of that traction, build some of that traction, and then also get access to capital. And we're doing that through this product. So, I mean, there are so many questions just in that one statement that I'm thinking, you know, what, what the model, I mean, what part of the model you would focus on? I mean, is it, yeah. is it an incubator? Is it a um, are you kind of business consulting? Are you doing, are you just kind of brokering venture capital firms? Are you, I mean, what's, where, where would you say you really, your primary focus is? Yeah. So I would say that our primary focus is um, in the connections between the two parties. Um, so what we're, 
uh, the product that we're releasing is a software tool that allows companies to assess themselves, really get a good understanding of their, their strengths, their weaknesses, mm-hmm. where they can grow, um, and then use that information and our, um, our data on investor preferences, what they're really looking for, not what they tell you that they're looking right. for. Um, and make those those connections, double double opt in on both sides, mm-hmm. um, and enable them to actually have that first conversation. So, are you looking to build like an inventory of companies that VCs could kind of almost? I hate to use the word shop, but you know, <laughs> I guess you know, like vet or kind of do do some due diligence through the tool, or is it is it really just kind of like Match.com for you know entrepreneurs and investors? Yeah. So. Um, we we don't want it to be an inventory so we're we're bringing folks in on both sides both the startup side and the investor side to be part of the it's more of a marketplace right um, i would say that your your kind of match.com is is fairly close to to the heart we want people who are good matches for each other yeah. to start having conversations and ultimately if it ends up with um, a marriage um, of two of two parties and capital is given and the entrepreneur is ready to go then that's that's the ideal so is the business model, is it, are you taking equity? Are you saying, you know, we get 1% of the deal? We, I mean, what's the, what's kind of the model? Because um, I could see, you know, the entrepreneur and the VC getting together. Great. Oh, you want a piece of this too. <laughs> That's right. All you do, you just connect to this. Yeah. That type of thing. I know it's much more than that, but totally, what's totally. the model? Yeah, so it's a it's a SaaS SAS model. So we're, we're kind of staying out of the, the equity piece right now mm-hmm. um, and just providing a tool that allows the interaction um, and letting them kind of take care of the messy nitty gritty of the equity um, later and by themselves. Now, is this, is this like a monthly subscription that now who on, are they paying it from both sides or is it the like almost like real estate? Like it's the, the seller pays all the fees or the buyer pays all the fees. Yeah. So the um, it's a freemium model. So entrepreneurs can get access to the assessments completely for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and the investors can also get access to the assessments of their, for their own, um, for themselves for free. And then the, the connection portion is that, um, that paid model and it is on both sides. And are, are, is it, is it like driven by the app itself or you actually have people that are out there kind of beating the bushes that are making these connections? Like you're reviewing entrepreneurs that are coming in and you're reviewing VCs that are coming in, you're thinking, hey, we got to get these two together. Or is the, the software kind of does that on its own? Yeah, well, so we're, we're using machine learning to, to make good matches between the two. So the, the data that's provided um, on both sides is actually what helps make those matches so great. So I, I can understand and, and I, you know, forgive me, I, I, I am certainly a layman. So forgive me these questions. You're going to go, that's a dumb question. No, but no. I understand the, the kind of the, the entrepreneur assessing kind of their business side of things. I'm yeah. not sure I understand the assessment from the, from the angel or the VC side. Yeah, that's really to get down to um, what the investor is looking for, what the investor is looking for at the time, because that does tend to change. Sure. Um, and then the types of founders that they're most excited to work with. Um, some found some investors are really looking for that aggressive, like takes no prisoners type of entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And others are looking for more of that like collaborative, creates a good culture type of entrepreneur. And so we're looking to kind of match those types of visions as well as the types of, of companies specifically within industries. 
So once again, you've kind of painted a dichotomy here. And I have to decide which one you are. Are you the take no prisoner? Or are you the are you the collaborative type? <laughs> I think that I am somewhere in the, the middle. Silent assassin. The um, <laughs> probably one of those driven, but very, very, very focused on making sure that culture and and people come together. So you and I are hopping on an on an elevator and we're gonna go up 10 floors. We're gonna your next 45 seconds. So give me your best aspire360.io pitch. All right. Um so Aspire360 is a machine learning platform that connects entrepreneurs with investors, drastically reducing the amount of time that it takes to find capital or great investments. Um yeah, I think that's it. No, I absolutely. So if I, I'm, my next question would be, so are there, are there some uh, examples where this has already happened kind of within the platform? Yeah. So um, we actually launched a V1, just like a really early manual version of our product at the beginning of the year. We wanted to see whether or not it was something that entrepreneurs were looking for, whether it was something investors were looking for. Mm -hmm. And so we thought before we build anything, might as well try and do this on our own. Um, we did that. We had, um, basically coaches kind of both guiding folks through the, the fundraising process and then also making relevant connections. And it worked really well. The entrepreneurs were really happy. A lot of them were getting funded. Um, and so we decided this, this coaching model where you have a person in the middle is too, um, it's too hands-on mm -hmm. to be able to provide it's hard the to scale. Yeah, it's hard to yeah, scale. It's to scale yeah. hard to get, um, it's hard to get the entrepreneurs um, enough money that they can kind of pay for the really quality um, coaches. Like the right. people who have the best connections are expensive. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to make it more accessible to the earlier folks. And so that's why we decided to build a product. So uh, like a friend of mine is, I mean, his entire service is built around just finding companies for venture capital firms to invest in. Yeah. He just, just bringing them deals all the time. Yeah. So what is the, what would this app provide that those types of services don't, is there a financial incentive? Is there, I mean, is it, is this a lot more financially? Um, I, I don't want to use the word less expensive, but is it is it more financially lucrative for a venture capitalist to go through this service than it is these other kind of brokers brokerage houses? Or what's the what's kind of the advantages and disadvantages of both? Sure. Well, so a brokerage, um, you're definitely going to get a very very like personalized, intensive kind of um, experience. You can't always ensure kind of the quality of, right. of everyone who is brokering those deals. So that's just or one. if they have a vested interest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's you just you never know. Um, so it's potential to kind of spend a lot of money, and maybe you will get some good results, and maybe you won't. And so you just you do have to kind of look out for that. Um, we see ourselves as much more of an un biased kind of tool for the entrepreneurs and the investors yep. to use. Um, we don't, we don't call ourselves a broker and we don't promise that people will get investment, right. um, but we're at a low enough price point that people actually, even if you don't get investment, you make some really good connections yeah. um, and you might be able to, to kind of connect with them down the line during the next fundraising round, because you've started building those relationships. Um, so we see ourselves as kind of differentiating from those folks with a lot more data, some feedback in mm -hmm. terms of kind of where you can improve, some support there, and then um, obviously a little bit more unbiased. 
So is the is the communication between the two parties within the the app itself, or is it is it that really just the connection point, and then they go on and do their thing outside the outside the environment? Yeah. So the um, the conversation can continue within the platform. Um, you can share information. You can share pitch decks, things like that. Um, you can chat within the platform. Um, if you need to take the conversation offline. We're kind of open to that. Our our main focus right now is really kind of getting that first conversation started. Right. right. So it's interesting the the idea that that um, you know that you've come up with, and oftentimes, I mean, like I said, in the three years or so that I've I've actually talked to startup founders, so many times the product or the service that they've created was born out of a pain point that they experienced. Of course. You know, is that, I mean, would that be the case here? Did, I mean, did you experience the difficulty of, of fundraising and thought there's got to be a better way? <laughs> I, I definitely did. And then I also, I felt like I took the next step. I, I realized that I had a limited network and that I would need to expand that in order to be successful um, mm-hmm. with my startups. And then I, and I did that. I made sure that I had one-on-one meetings with as many people that, could, that I really wanted to learn from, right? Like I, I started really putting a lot of effort into building my network um, and I reaped the rewards of that. I, I have a, a wonderful network of people who are willing to support me, go out of their way to, to support the companies that I work with. Um, but I realized kind of looking back and looking at some of my peers that not everyone has that and not everyone has the time to invest in kind of building that for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to kind of, spread that and, and share some of that. Where do you see the, the platform in say two to three years? Yeah. What's um, your entrepreneurial vision? My entrepreneurial vision. Yeah. I mean, I would love for, um, I would love for Aspire 360 to be the, the go-to place for entrepreneurs in the early stages. So if they're kind of looking to looking for capital, which always seems to be the first thing on entrepreneurs' minds, I, I want them to think of Aspire 360. But also if they're looking for kind of connections with other types of support, mentors, um, peer groups, masterminds, things like that, I want them to think of Aspire as that go-to place, that hub of entrepreneurship. Mm. So is there in your mind, I mean, I, I want to ask this question, I could probably almost answer it before I, I ask it, but <laughs> like, do you have like future iterations and think, okay, in, in 2.0 version or 3.0 version, we're going to have this and we're going to add this service. We're going to add this community, you know, this, this interactive, you know, channel over here or whatever. And, and then we're going to build, we're going to become our own VC firm and we're going to you know, do this and we, we're going to have an incubator. And, and I mean, is it going to be a, an entire ecosystem or are you going to really try to, no, we're going to, just going to stay in our lane and do our thing. So we're going to stay in our lane and do our thing until we've kind of blown it out and, and done it the best that we can. Um, I think that there are a lot of areas that we can grow in, a lot of potential for different uh, tools and, and ways that we can support entrepreneurs. And there are kind of V2, V3 yeah. um, add-ons in terms of kind of what, what things that we can provide entrepreneurs in that way. So 12 to 18 months, I'm going to have to have her back on and let, ask her what's, what's version 3.0 look like. So I will, I will work hard. So I have that for you. Exactly. Exactly. So this is a, another, you know, kind of a layman assumption here. So if it's, if it's wrong, if it's erroneous, please just, you know, Hey, throw the flag. It's 15 yard penalty. It's a personal value. No, no question. But I hear so many times, you know, VC firms talk about 
we don't have problem attracting people. They, we get inundated with requests for funding. I mean, yeah. inundated. We get dozens a day, you know, people wanting money. So yeah. what what is the, I guess, what's the incentive for a venture capitalist or an angel investor to to use the platform? I certainly can see the the you know the supply side of things. I but what's the what's the uh, or I guess the demand side. So what's the what's the incentive for for the VC side? I mean, or is it is it hey, these are VCs just getting started, these are VCs that you know, are not getting inundated. What's the, who, who's populating that other side of the equation? For sure. Yeah. And of course, um, for VCs that don't have enough deal flow, that this can be valuable. Um, the way that we're valuable to most VCs or most investors is relevant deal flow. Um, and mm. so instead of getting just kind of a massive yeah, influx popery, of yeah. who, who want money, but maybe are just completely irrelevant, like you only invest in medical startups and they're doing like, hardware for trucks like right. just completely right. different um like pure like only the deal flow that is exactly relevant um gets gets um connected with the relevant investors um and then we also are hopefully adding some some value in terms of the information that they are getting when they're having those initial meetings so the entrepreneur obviously has full control over their data um always um but they're able to share really relevant information that is um, populated into the system in a really easy way. Mm -hmm. And that helps the investor kind of jump in and they don't have to ask all those questions. Right. They, they already yeah. have that and they can yeah. start that process. It shortens it and it helps them move faster. VCs these days, there are a lot of VCs and they're all competing for a couple of deals. Yep. And so the ability to move quickly and, and nail down that deal is very important to them. Kind of shorten that due diligence, you know, process that they have to go through. Exactly. Um, that, that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So um, the thing I've heard so often is that that people love to work with startups. They love to work with startup founders. But the thing they found if they're providing that service is that startup founders don't have any money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, they need the help, but they don't have any money. So yep. how have you gotten around that? Yeah. So I um it's only a dollar a month. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have been that startup founder. I have been the startup founder where people are like, we need you to pay. And I'm like, I just I don't have to and, and call me in two cash, years. This small bundle of cash that I do have, it, I can't spend it on that. Yes, like exactly. it has to be about acquiring customers. <laughs> so um I, I get it and I've I've seen it. Um that's why the the, we've built the model to be kind of amenable to startups. We've talked to hundreds of them and um, our price points are extremely affordable um, for them. And so that, but that is part of why we have created the business model in the way that we have. So if you were going to like define your avatar client, what would yeah. be the demographics of, of the ideal, you know, Aspire 360 startup founder? Yeah. And this is this is constantly iterating um, because there are so many different types of of founders. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, kind of an early early founder, some someone between kind of pre seed and Series A, mm -hmm. um, either a first or second time founder. And currently, we're focused on the the continental U.S. Um, right. or not just continental. We're focused on the U.S. Right. Um, and looking to kind of expand um, globally as we as we move forward. So, but these, these are founders that, that they've done something. I mean, they, they're showing some growth, there's some revenue coming in, there's, there's something to actually 
you know, judge by. It's not like I've got I've got the next great idea, but we're kind of pre-revenue, you know, I yeah. stage. Well, anyone can anyone can join the platform. Um, once they're once they take some of the assessments, they might understand kind of where they are in the life cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and we have some resources that can help kind of ramp them up so that they can build their business to the point where they are really ready for for investors and ready to kind of put their their best foot forward. You only really get one shot at a first impression. Right. Yeah, um, for sure. And so, so that's kind of what we what we would help the earliest folks um, kind of navigate. But yes, a, a lot of the folks that are ready can kind of just plug their info in and, and, and run with it. So when did, when did, the, when did Aspire 360 start? What was its birth date? <laughs> uh, it's been about two years. So I think we started um, end of 2019. And walk us through kind of the, the growth. I mean, just even numbers, like how many people are using the platform, maybe from both sides in that last, I guess, almost two years. Yeah, well, so it took us about a year to kind of get our, our initial launch. We did a lot of customer discovery. We were trying to figure out what we what we wanted to build. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that first year, we launched um, V1. We built it up to about 30 or so folks um, in that very personalized kind of um, coaching model. Right, right. Um, very much hands-on. Yeah, and then we're about to launch our, our V2 of the product. Um, and so we have um, several hundred folks um, that will be participating in that. They'll be giving us a ton of feedback and then we'll launch um, our official version, hopefully Q1 of next year. So you're actually in kind of the beta phase. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, I mean it's, is it a closed group that you're working with right now or is it just you know, people that are signing up? You're kind of, you know, it's like you're, you're, you understand you're signing up almost to a beta version. Yeah. So um, the folks that we've been signing up are, um, we initially kind of brought them in. We were like, are, are you excited about the product? And they were like, yes, like give us access immediately. Yeah. When is it going to be available? Um, and so that those are the kind of folks that we brought in, um, but we wanted to kind of give them the chance to experience the product and help us continue to improve it before we do our, our full public launch. So I'm curious how you determined what the, the costing structure would look like. And is it, does it have anything to do with size of company or size of ask? Or, I mean, if somebody's looking for $50,000 versus somebody's looking for 5 million, I mean, is mm -hmm. it the same like barrier of entry into the platform, into the, the non-freemium model, I guess, or the, yeah. the, the cost model? Yeah. So um, we, we didn't want to kind of say like, you're raising Five million, and so like you should pay us more. We wanted it to just be a simple, straightforward model. Everyone can get access to it, um, and have it be really friendly and simple that way. Mm -hmm. So truly, if you are raising five million, or if you are raising fifty thousand, um, you can kind of access the product at the same price point. And there's, I mean, obviously there's no guarantees, but I mean, is there? You really, really don't even have a track record yet about you know like the percentage of you know, people that join have actually closed deals versus that type of thing? Or do you have any kind of numbers or metrics about around that? So we, we don't have metrics for the specific like software product, um, but we have seen um, a lot of success with our kind of personalized concierge um, model service. Before, yeah. So. yeah. So we know that we can do it. Um, and now we're kind of looking to scale it. Now we're just going to scale. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, it is exciting to uh, to be on, on just kind of this, the, the cutting edge of this and the, the very early stage. And are there any any other people out there that are, you have direct competitors? 
Yeah, I mean, there. so there are a ton of competitors. Um, there are a couple of direct competitors, folks that are looking to use um, AI to kind of create portfolios mm -hmm. of startups for investors to, to come into. Um, there, there are a lot of indirect competitors, which to me says that there's kind of like the, a, a big untapped market. Yeah. I mean, accelerators, incubators, um, there's a bunch of, a lot of folks use PitchBook, Crunchbase, AngelList to right. kind of find their investors. Um, but when you ask entrepreneurs and when you ask investors kind of where they're getting, like where they're finding folks, it's they're looking at lists online, they're talking to their friends, or they're asking their connections. Yeah. And so there's there's got to be a more efficient or better way to do <laughs> that than just asking who you know. Right. They have a friend of a friend who right. might have some money that they might be able to give you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Is it, is it a misnomer to say that that there's a lot of money available right now? There's a that lot is, of money that yeah. they, they want to invest. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of dry powder. Um, folks are looking to invest it for sure. You mean CDs are not paying a, a good enough return? For, surprisingly. For, <laughs> surprisingly, that's right. My 0.75% return on a CD, right? It just, just isn't quite doing it for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I might want to look elsewhere on that one. <laughs> I might look for something else, some other alternative. So... <laughs> Well, as we wrap up today, is there anything that, that we haven't chatted about? You kind of want to wrap us up and, and just uh, also just tell people where the best place to find you online. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so anyone can find us online at www.aspire360.io. Um, and feel free to reach out. Um, our email is up there, um, but you can also find us on so social media um, at aspire360ceos. And there, you said there are assessment tools on there. Like if, if they're wanting just to kind of get their, the, dip their toe in the water or whatever, and just, and see, you know, what, what's, what is this about? And, you know, we're kind of thinking about raising money and, and just kind of, and it, I'm assuming that it would also prepare the company even for, you know, to put you in a better position to actually talk to VCs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our, our goal is for those meetings that are set up to be successful, yeah. right? When the entrepreneur is successful, we're successful. When the right. investor is successful, we're successful. So we want those parties to be excited about each other when they're having that conversation. So any way that we can help prepare the entrepreneurs, we do. And financialmatch.com and they live happily ever after as a married couple, you know, they ride off into the sunset, everybody's happy. So Eleanor, it's been a great pleasure to chat with you today and just kind of hear your backstory and, and to hear the story of Aspire 360. And, and it's going to be exciting to kind of watch your progress from afar and, and see how things are going to grow in this space. And we just want to thank you again for taking time on this Friday afternoon to just play your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Elner, have a great afternoon. You too. Thanks so much for having me. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.